So turn with me in your Bible to John chapter 11. We're going to be looking at this last number seven uh, where Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. So uh, John chapter 11, we'll look in verse, we'll start in verse 1. And just hold on to your seats while we read through it, and then I'll break it down for us. It says, now a man named Lazarus was sick, and he was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, look, the one you love is sick. Remember that. Verse 4, when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that, the, so that God's son may be glorified through it. Verse 5, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. Verse 8, but Rabbi, they said, a short while ago the Jews tried to stone you and, get, and yet you are going back there. Verse 9, Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, look here, stupid. Lazarus is dead. Sorry, a little bit of paraphrase from Pastor Adam. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Verse 16, then Thomas, called Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, we'll just skip that and keep moving. Verse 17, on his arrival, come on, everybody got that cousin. It's like, yeah, whatever, bro. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. Verse 20. So uh, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, or said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whomever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Verse 27, yes, Lord, she said to him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. Verse 32, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord... If you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Verse 35, shortest verse in English in the Bible, Jesus wept. Verse 36, then the Jews said, see how he loved him. 
But some of them said, could he not open the eyes? The one who could open the eyes of the blind have not kept this man from dying? Verse 38, Jesus once more moved deeply. Remember this move deeply piece because I'm going to break that down. Came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said the ever practical Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time he is, uh, there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Y'all still with me? Can I keep reading? Verse 40, then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Verse 41, so they took away the stone. Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here because I'm teaching them a principle. So I'm praying to you first. So, Father, I'm doing this. You always hear me, but I'm doing this so that they can see how this thing engages. And then he yells out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did. Yeah, they put their faith in him. Verse 46, but there's always those little demons. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. You're not going to believe what he did. He's raising the dead now. Verse 47, then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing? They asked. Here is this man performing many miraculous signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and then the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Unbelievable. As I break this down for, for just a moment, I want to point out that this miracle, this miraculous sign, is only mentioned in the book of John. It's the only place recorded. There are four Gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that record the teachings and the life of Jesus. And this particular book, uh, John's Gospel, does not, um, is the only one to record Excuse me, uh, this miraculous raising of Lazarus from the dead. And most scholars attribute that to the fact that once Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead, he is now a living symbol of the fact that the Messiah has come to earth and raises the dead. And so if he stays alive, then what happens is he's a testimony that Jesus truly was the Messiah. So all of the evil ones who do not want anyone to believe Jesus is Messiah would be on a headhunting to try to figure out how to kill this guy. And so he basically, for however many years, 20, 30 years, he lives, you know, almost like, uh, what do they do whenever you've been in the mafia and you rat on somebody? They put you in that government... uh, witness protection so he's basically lived in witness protection but at some point he passes away again a natural means or whatever it may be and that's when john writes this gospel it's somewhere you know 20 30 years after jesus death burial and resurrection and so so this is being recorded now more than likely because john has already passed away and his life would no longer be in danger and as it opens up It opens up, this storyline opens up with people coming to Jesus and saying, hey, the one that you love is sick. The one that you care about is sick. Now, Mary, Martha, 
and Lazarus were, were siblings. Um, it is obvious that they, their parents had either passed away, uh, or they were no longer in the picture. And so in Jewish culture, um, what you've got is women are not able at this time to do any kind of business outside of a covership or of a headship. They still do this in Middle Eastern countries, especially in uh, predominantly Muslim countries. And so a woman can do business, but she has to do it under the covering of if she's a, a single woman under her father's name, she could not do business in her own name, or once she's married under her husband's name. Or if father has died and there is a male figure in the household, she could do it. So these women are able to do business and do life under the headship now of Lazarus, and now he's dead. And so they bring, they come to him with, with the word, hey, Jesus, the ones you love, the one that you're intimate in relationship with is dead. And I just want to point out to you that Jesus wants to be in intimate relationship with you. He doesn't want to just kind of, that's why I had him sing that song, He Knows My Name. You say, well, of course he knows my name. No, 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 no. Sometimes you think that you're just part of this, you know, seven billion spots on the planet and you don't recognize Jesus doesn't just know your name. He knows every intimate thought that you have. He knows everything that frustrates you, aggravates you, depresses you. He knows you inside and out and he cares about you. And they love him so much, they don't manipulate him. They don't, they don't give a request to him. They don't beg him to come. They just simply send him word, the one you love is sick. When you're in intimate relationship, you don't have to beg and plead. When you're in intimate relationship, you don't have to force your will. When you're in intimate relationship, you can just simply say, I need you to know this is transpiring, and I put my life in your hands, Jesus. Whatever you would have, my way, not your way, I will follow you. And that's what they do. They just simply say, the one you love is sick. And Jesus then does what only Jesus can do. He says, oh, okay, great. We're going to wait here two more days. <laughs> He's waiting here two more days. And I'd like to point out to you. The reason why that is is because there's such strong uh, relationship that he can be trusted. And just this piece that you need to understand is that what may be urgent to you may not be urgent with heaven right now. And that your trust is in him. His timing is always perfect. The way he goes about fixing the things of life is always right on. The when we get all amped up and, Lord, if you don't do it right now, I'm going to turn my back on you. This is not Christianity. So he's showing his disciples, let me show you right now, buddy, that Jesus, they just told you Lazarus is really sick. And, and they're letting you know. He's like, yeah, we're going to keep doing what we're doing right here. Oh, okay. So you're not going to rush off. Hey, buddy. Hey, buddy. I got this under control. What you need to understand is that Jesus is in control. And if you've surrendered your life to him to let him lead you, guide you, and direct you, then how dare you and I try to tell him when he needs to move and when he doesn't need to move and how he's going to move and how he's going to do it. All we need to do is trust that he's a good, good father. If not, then stop singing the songs. Yeah. Bottom line. And so that's what he's teaching his disciples, thereby us as well. He is letting this thing play out because if he doesn't let it play out, then guess what happens? If he rushes off, then they say the guy never really died. He was just unconscious for a few hours. Four days of being dead, he ain't just dead. He's dead, dead. Are you with me? So it says that he stayed there two more days. And in the midst of it, he declares... This isn't going to end in death. And there's this whole back and forth of confusion when he uses the term sleep and death. But at the end of the day, he's saying, listen, this is not going to end in death. He may be dead right now, but death will not have its sting. It will not have its power. It will, not have, it will have not have total destruction. You may get hit, but Jesus is not going to let that have total destruction over your life. You may have difficulty and hardship, but he will not let it end in destruction. Are you with me? Say yes. 
And this is what Jesus is trying to propagate for them. He's trying to train them in this life because he's just weeks away from going to the cross. So he's got to get these guys trained in his ways. If they believe in him, then they can have his life and his ways and his nature. So he holds off two more days. And then he begins to make the journey. Now, now the scholars teach us that that, that journey from that space was a one-day journey. So when they sent message to Jesus that Lazarus was sick, Lazarus probably died hours after the messenger took off. A day journey to find Jesus. Jesus waits two days, and then a day journey for Jesus to get there. So you got four days that basically Lazarus has been dead, and not just dead, but they put him in the tomb dead. And so, and so what's be- beautiful about this whole piece is that John makes the point because there's no way Lazarus is just unconscious. He was really, really dead. Back in the Civil War, when they would have these moments where the, the bodies were out on the field after these battles, they would bury them and only to find out many times that some of these people that they buried were not completely dead. And they literally would dig themselves out of the ground sometimes. So they began burying people during the Civil War. They would bury them if they weren't 100% sure. They had no heartbeat that they could tell battles going on. But if they looked dead and they had been sitting around with them for a couple hours and they're not moving. And they would go to bury them. They would bury them many times with some type of way to dig themselves out just in case they came back from unconsciousness. And so even in, you got to think about even in, um, you know, ancient times, there would be these people that they didn't have modern technology to check if there's a heartbeat. They would just know there's no breath. We can't feel a heartbeat. And many times they could be, they, particularly they might be unconscious. And so literally this proves that four days in a tomb that this guy is dead. And the reason why that is is because going further, if Lazarus just was unconscious, then the miracle was, uh, was a fabrication. But because he's Messiah, he had to let the whole thing play out. Are you with me? Say yes. He, because you got to understand, Jesus, as he, as, as he goes to turn and say, okay, now let's go, the disciples are like, are we really going back there? Because weeks earlier, this is the spot where Mary and Martha are at, where they tried to stone Jesus at the temple. And so they probably thought he was hanging out for a couple days in, in lieu of like, we ain't going back there because they hate him there. And so they probably thought, so when he turns after two days, all right, now let's go. They're like, whoa, 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 whoa. They're going to try to kill you. And if they're going to kill you, that means they're going to kill us. Like you as us. Like, like we're on your team now. And so we wear the jersey. And uh, so that means you dying is us dying. And Jesus goes off into this whole thing, like, while there is time, while there is light, we must be about the Father's business. He says, literally, we literally, he says, those who walk in the day, they don't stumble. He said, and what he's trying to point out to them is that, that Jesus is modeling for them that this, this walk is about a faith and obedience, and so the Father needs us to go now. So it doesn't matter if we go in obedience and in faith. Satan cannot do what the Father will not allow him to do if we're walking in faith and obedience. And so even if bad things happen to us, the Father will take care of us. The Father will bring us through this. The Father will be there in the midst of the pain and the suffering. But we must walk while there is time of day. And then he goes on to say, and while there is life in me, while there is 12 hours to work, we got to work. Guys, can I tell you something? I had a revelation of this as a young man. See, I grew up graduating high school, like many of you, like, what am I going to do with my life? And I had giftings, I had, had things that I was good at, and, and my choices were going to be one of two things. Either I was going to go into, uh, you know, Hollywood and be a comic, 
or I was going to be a CEO of some corporation, or I was going to play professional basketball. Anyway, so I had these options. Had these options. And I'll never forget being so concerned, Lord, what am I supposed to do with my life? And I'm telling you, when I got a word from the Lord, this is why you are alive. Jesus says, I've got to go face these people who want to kill me. I've got to go do the work of the Father while there's time in the day because I'm on mission. I have a mission. And here's the problem with most believers is they don't know why they're on the planet. They don't know what their mission is. Many of you in this room, you don't know. And so you're coming to church, you're, you're, you're trying to pray. Lord, why am I here? Friend, can I tell you something? You are not here to work a 40-hour job so that you can have that little house with that little jet ski in the garage and have a little place over that you go to and, and, and go fishing. Let me tell you something. You are on mission. You've been ordained by God to be alive at such a time as this. God has a plan and a purpose for you. And when you know the mission, it changes everything changes everything. So now I know that I'm not a comic. Once I realized that God had a mission for me to be a pastor, to be a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, once I grabbed the mission, guess what it did? It directed me on who to marry and who not to marry. It directed me on where to go to church and not where to go to church because I was on mission. It directed me who was going to be my friends and who was not going to be my friends. It directed me on how I was going to show love to people that other people wouldn't love because I was on mission and I had to be about it. And once I realized I was on mission, then I looked around and said, how we got black folks going to a black church, white folks going to a white church, Hispanic folks going to his, that ain't the cause of Christ. And bringing them together became part of my mission from God. And so guess what? I have, I have love that others don't have. Why? Because I'm on mission. So I can walk through pain that others won't walk through. Why? Because I'm on mission. I'm on mission. My question to you is, what's your mission? Jesus is like, I've got a mission, guys. I know you thought by waiting here two days that I was avoiding conflict. That's not what happened. There's a greater work happening here because i got to raise this dude from the dead. But I'm going to go right up in the middle of the people who hate me. I'm going to go right up in the middle of the people who tried to kill me two weeks ago. I'm going to walk right up in the middle of them, and I'm going to do something that they've never seen before. They will not be able to deny I'm the, I'm the Messiah because what I'm about to do, they've never seen or heard in their lifetime. Watch what happens because I am on mission. And when you're not on mission and you don't know why you're here, this is why you fall into different sins. Why not? Why not try smoking weed all day long? I ain't got nothing else to do with my life. Why not bounce around from sexual relationship to sexual relationship? I ain't got nothing else to do with my life. I don't know why I'm here. And this is the tragedy, especially for believers, that you don't know why you're here. And I promise you, it is not hard to figure it out. Get on your face. Ask the Lord. Say, Lord, show me. And I promise you, in a moment, he'll turn you to a scripture, and it'll come alive in you. You'll see five blackbirds in the sky, and it'll show something. I don't know. God will speak to you. Why? Because he needs us on mission. Because when you're on mission, it fixes all of the what-ifs in life. And so when hell breaks out against our family, I'm on mission. I expect to be shot at. I expect grenades to be thrown in our tent. I expect it. Why? Because I'm on mission. Let me tell you, this little lady sitting on the front row, there were a lot of little gals that were interested in this. <laughs> At our big mega church. <clears throat> but I, since I was on mission, I was looking for one that didn't need me. That wasn't going to have to be carried up the mountain. The one who could have carry me when I got shot at. I was looking for one who would say, you know what? I don't care if you quit or not. I'm taking the mountain. I'm charging the hill. 
So I, I, I was looking for, uh, I, I knew I needed a woman who had as much mission from God that I had to seek and save that which is lost, to bring racial reconciliation to the church, to go win the people that nobody wants to talk about, all the people with their sexually deviant behavior and all the difficulty and addictions. I knew I needed someone that would stand there with me so that when I got shot at, they go, oh, no, I didn't sign up for this. Oh, my goodness. Like, I need to get my nails done. And I thought we were just going to be, I thought I was just going to be a trophy wife. And I, oh, my God, I, I'm going to find me somebody else. I was like, no, I, I can't have nothing like that. I need a warrior beside me who can outfight me. So when I saw that little lady on the front row dancing and worshiping God, not caring about anybody else in the world, said, so, ooh, something said, that's the one right there. Look, she don't care about nobody else around here. Y'all could all just do whatever you're going to do. She's going to go seek God, find God. And let me tell you, when we go through hardship, she's the one pushing. You know, I don't want to go to church this morning. I'm tired of those people who are mean. I don't want to go up there. And finally, his wife looked at him and says, you have to. You're the pastor. She does that to me almost every Sunday. The craziest thing. And so when Jesus arrives, Martha goes running out to meet him. He hasn't even made it completely into her village. And they get into this discord. Uh, uh, discourse. She, she says, you know, if you had been here, I know he, he wouldn't have died. because you. I mean, she's testifying. I believe in you, and I know that you could have stopped the death process. And Jesus tells her, he says, listen, he will resurrect. He will live again. And she says, I know, verse 24, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. I know that there'll be a resurrection and that we'll all then spend eternity with you in heaven. And Jesus, verse 25, is like, let me, girlfriend, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Sweetheart, why have you limited me? See, there's a big difference between hope and faith. There's a big difference. Like hope, hope is believing for what is going to come. Faith is standing in the present saying it's happening right now because I know that you are here in my midst. She had hope that he would resurrect, but she didn't have faith that Jesus could do it right here, right now. It was beyond her, uh, her belief system. It was beyond her ability to grab. And, and as, as he does that, she goes they, and grabs Mary, and Mary comes, and Mary's got all the little mourners following her around. All the, I want you to picture this. Lazarus is dead. They put him in a tomb. All the people from all around, this was a popular family, came, and they had professional mourners in those days. Um, they paid people to come and to cry. That was a profession. Come on. Have you never been to black funeral? There's always one sister. Ah! Ah! And they're picking her up. She, ah! White people just sit there like, mm-hmm, he deserved to die. How much time are we going to do on this thing? We got 30 minutes and I'm out. Hispanics the same way. They'll go forever. Like you, uh, you go to a Hispanic funeral, it'll be a little room that holds 200 people, and there'll be 1,500 F-150s out in the parking lot jacked up. Like, who are all these, where are these people at? Cousins upon cousins upon cousins. White people bury them in two days. Black people bury them two weeks later. They got to wait to get time, get prepared for this. And this is how it was in these days. And so they would come. It was a big ordeal. In fact, they would mourn for seven days. Seven days at the house. You feeding all these people. Somebody's paying them. All right, I need you to cry a little bit more, all right, because you, you, you're a little slack on your job, all right? We need... We need to feel the pain and the suffering that's happening now. And so Jesus is on the outskirts of town, and Mary comes. And, and she meets him, and all these little mourners are following. Ah! And Jesus has this engagement with her then. 
She says, oh, Master, I know if you'd have gotten here sooner, then my brother would still be alive. And he's like, Mary, oh, my goodness, Mary. And the Bible says, and John says it twice. So he's making a point. He, Jesus was deeply moved. Everybody say, deeply moved. Deeply. Turn to the person next to you and say, deeply moved. Deeply. Now, this word translates out a little different than how we perceive it. It actually translates out agitated and angry. Jesus is not empathetic. That's not, what they're, that's not what is happening here. He's not sad because they're sad. He's angry. He's ticked. What's he ticked off about? What's he mad about? Come on, it's a funeral. Like, what's he mad about? Because he's got weeks before they're going to crucify him. And these are the men and women that he's entrusted the keys to the kingdom to. And Mary and Martha have gone back to their old ways of doubt and unbelief. They got these people around. The life of God has showed up on the scene. And they're limited him in their thinking. To he could, if he could have been here four days ago, we could have avoided that. Instead of going, he's here now, and he can resurrect whatever has died. He can bring life to whatever has... They have lost the kind of faith that it takes to heal the sick and raise the dead and cast out devils, which is what he told us in Mark 16 we would be doing. And so here he is. He's got this last big... John's recording this as the last big miraculous sign, and Jesus is frustrated because if anybody understands what I am and what I brought to the earth. It's you, Mary. You washed my feet with your tears and your hair. It's anybody, Martha. I sat in your house and taught you and your family day in and day. You saw the miracles, signs, and wonders all throughout my mind. If anyone should believe in me and what I'm doing in the earth, it should be you. You've been in church since you were five. And you still... The moment something bad happens, you quit on me. You give up on me. Yeah, I waited an extra couple days because I got to bring this to the surface. I got to bring this pimple to a head because there's something down in you that still does not see and know the God of heaven and earth. And you've limited me and you've limited the Father to these little places in your life that you have seen others experience. I am here to do something that no one has ever seen and ever done before. And I want to do it in your life, in your family. I want to blow the top off of this old wicked world. He's so moved. He's so moved that he, that he literally, he begins to weep over this whole thing. And I wonder, have we hung around church so long that we figured out Jesus? What happened to the awe and the wonder? Those of you that have grown up in church, you don't have maybe this moment like some of the rest of us. We were wicked. My family was wicked. And we met Jesus. <laughs> so when we dancing on the chains that once held us down, we know what those chains are. Like we know what was destroying. So maybe you say, well, Pastor, I grew up in church. I really always been a good person. Have you now? Have you now? Just because your sin maybe didn't get as much attention from the pulpit, your sin of gossip, your sin of compromise, your sin of just because that sin, and I had a season of that in my life. What happened to the awe and the wonder? What happened, like, like when a child sees a Disney movie for the first time? A whole new world. 
friend, fantastic point of view. What happened to that in our relationship with Jesus? We think we got him figured out. Well, he's going to do this at this time. Because on Sundays, we start at 9. They're going to sing three fast songs and then two slow songs. Pastor and his wife are going to get up and call for a little bit of healing. And, uh, and, it, and we got it all scheduled out and figured out. And that's what he's calling out of them. I'm the resurrection. I am the resurrection. The I am is here in front of you. There is no limitation to what I can do. Mary, I understand that you don't see it. But friend, that breaks my heart. And so he says, let's go down to the tomb. He gets down to the tomb. And he goes, roll the stone away. And Martha, forever the operational control person. The administrator who says, oh, hold up, um, miracle man. You don't understand. You can't do that. That's gross. There's a great odor after four days. Now, you guys who don't understand biology and stuff like that, I.E. me. Um, l- l- let me just under- teach you what happens. So when a person dies, um, their, their organs and all stay, if you will, flexible or life-giving for a season, for a few hours. That's why they have to harvest our organs uh, quickly um, to be able to give organ transplants or to be an organ donor. And so that's why they move quickly. The longer that you go um, <clears throat> in the death process, the, the, the muscles begin to contract, the tendons begin to contract, the organs begin to, the tissue and the organs begin to die and they can't be used again. And so after four days, he has started into the d- decay process. He's decaying. In fact, in Jewish culture, what they would do is, so when you think about a grave, their graves weren't like our graves where you dig a hole in the ground or um, something like that. What they would do is they would carve out a section of, because they've got these mountainous kind of terrain, they would carve out a section of a, of a little side of a mountain or a little cliff or something, and they would have like a little cave. And it would be not a deep cave, and it, it would be a man-made cave where they would carve it out. And they would usually just make an entry point about like this. You'd literally have to get down on your knees, hands and knees to get in it. And then once you got right inside of it, there'd be like a little staging area, just a little place on the ground. Sometimes they would have an elevated kind of bench or something. And they would take the body, and they would leave it there. And then they would roll the stone back, and then they would let it decompose. They would let that decompose for a year. So they wrap it in the linen and all this. They let it decompose for a year. And then once all the decomposition has happened, and they, go, they would then roll the stone back. They would go in there, collect all the bones. They would do a little ceremonial piece. And then they would carve out a little spot, almost like a mausoleum, in that tomb where they would put their other ancestors and their other relatives or whatever. And they would put the bones and some type of little carrying piece into a little sliver in the wall. They would carve out. So you would have an entire family history line in this tomb. So Lazarus had been placed in that spot. They rolled the stone in front, and they were, they de- he was decomposing. Now, if you know about that as well, they would wrap them with linen. The reason why they would do that is because the muscles and the tendons begin to contract with a dead person. So they literally would put their hands to their side while they were still pliable, their feet together, that kind of stuff. So you'd get a, you'd get a stiff like this, and they would wrap it tight with this linen. They'd wrap it tight, wrap their face, they'd wrap their jaw uh, to their, this way, and the reason why they would do that is to hold it close, and they would wrap it all tight like that, and of course the, the bugs and, and could get in and, and decompose the flesh and things like that, um, but they would then be, they would be like this, because otherwise what would happen is they would, they would just naturally as it's decomposed, those, those tendons and all would just would contract. In fact, Pop always tells the grandkids about when he was a kid, somewhere around seven or eight years old, there was a church up the road <coughs> 
that, uh, that was having a funeral, and they had, uh, they had not tied the body down into the casket real well. And they had that open piece in the casket. And while they were having a funeral service, they didn't realize about this decomposition process. And all of a sudden, that body set up in the middle of the casket. And he said, you have never seen Christians <laughs> exit a church so fast. He said, my daddy and I had to walk over to there because they were not going back into church. No, sir. No, sir. No, sir, we ain't going back in there. Either it's demons or something, we don't know. But that thing's set up in the middle of, the, in the middle of that casket, and we're not going to, why? Because they had not tied it down. And so in that process, you know, those muscles contract. And so Jesus, when he calls him to come forth, you got to understand, there are, the liver is no longer functionable. The heart has decayed. That muscle is no longer, you, you cannot use it again. Come on, have you ever blown out a tire and you rolled it on the rim? Your wife ever done that to you? I'm like, baby, if you just pulled over, oh, but you rode it on the rim, that sucker shredded. I got to buy a whole new tire, okay? And so it's gone. It's toast. So Jesus doesn't just breathe life back into this body. He recreates every organ. Whatever files of the brain waves had been downloaded into heaven have been brought back and re uploaded into that brain. Are you tracking? This miracle is so significant that they don't even know what to do with it. Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. And I want to make a point about this. He asked the father for help. He prays to the father and then he speaks to the situation. This is a huge piece you need to know. And he's teaching his disciples this. He's teaching them, listen, this, this is how this needs to go down. You pray to the Father, and then you speak to the situation. He doesn't say, Lazarus, if it's okay, Daddy, could you maybe help Lazarus come out? Devil, stop it. Demon of death, let him go. Please, if you don't mind, I'm out here hoping God hears me. Jesus says, Father, I'm only doing this. You and I already know we talk. I'm doing what you told me to do. We won. So I don't have to second guess this. I'm doing this so that they see this pattern. I pray to you. Make sure I got your heart. Make sure I got your direction. And then I speak to the situation. Because I know who I am. This is the problem with most Christians. You don't know who you are. So you're, you're fighting from a position against demonic forces. You're fighting you know, spiritual warfare from a position of a stepchild instead of a son or a daughter who is heir to all things that Jesus has bought and paid for. And so if he's seated at the right hand of the Father making intercession, and all things have been placed under his feet, all principalities and powers have been conquered by him, and he is the ruler over all those things, and when he speaks, they have to obey, then as his sons and daughters, when we speak, they have to obey. This is the problem. You don't really believe that because you're still on a merit system. Well, I didn't pray enough for them to be able to obey me. I'm not, I didn't go to church enough. I didn't tithe enough for me to really be a true, genuine Christian. So you feel like you're a half Christian, and Pastor Adam, he must pray a lot, so he's a, he's a full Christian. This is your problem. Because you haven't accepted the fact that you can't make yourself righteous. Jesus made you righteous. He applied his righteousness to you. When the Father looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Christ Jesus, for we are the righteousness in Christ Jesus. Are you with me? Say yes. We are still, we are still sinners saved by faith, and we, and we stumble, and we fall, and we repent, and we say, Lord, I blew that one this time. Oh, Lord, have mercy on me. That's our engagement when Jesus, but when the Father looks at us, he sees the work of Christ over us. He sees the, the, the righteousness of Christ over us, and we, we say, Father, is this what you want? He says, that's what I want. And then we say do it and the enemy has to do it 
He doesn't ask permission. He says, Lazarus, come up. Get out. Let's go, buddy. And then, how does he get up? I want you to picture that. He rolls down, breaks his nose in the process of being raised from the dead. It's unbelievable. No, I'm just kidding. The fact that Lazarus could even get himself to the opening is a miracle all in itself. And again, it's probably only about this. So he's kind of wiggling and trying to get himself out of that. And I want you to know that Mary and Martha and everybody's like, you're the resurrection and the life. That's what I'm trying to tell you. I am. I am here in your midst. In your midst. See, at least they had enough sense to get Jesus to come. Here's my problem with most Christians. We try to fix it all in our own strength, and we never say, Jesus, I need you. Just want you to know, the one who loves you needs you. And Jesus shows up and raises He's getting together. They call a meeting of the Sanhedrin. This is scores and scores of leaders. This is, there's probably 100, 200 people in a room, in a conference hall, and they are talking about Jesus and the fact that he just raised Lazarus from the dead. And this is their resolve. This joker is doing signs and wonders, and the people are believing in him. Okay, let me just back you up. These Pharisees and these Sadducees, their whole life has been to try to get the Jewish people to go back to church, to stop being pagan. And so they got all these laws, the law of Moses, they got all these ways of honoring the Sabbath, and, 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 and then Jesus shows up, and if he shows up at your synagogue, it packs out. It packs out. Like you're trying to get the people of Israel to follow God wholeheartedly, and when Jesus shows up, they do. And everywhere he goes, miracle signs and wonders are happening. People's lives are being changed, and you're mad about it. And it puts in perspective right here why. says it like this, for if we let him continue doing this, we will lose our position. This is why church sucks for people. Like, God's doing something great in my life. Mm-hmm, well, you hadn't gone to grow track yet, have you? Well, what's that? Mm-hmm. You just hang around a little bit. You might, we might let you serve over here or do something over there or something. Like. We don't do that here because we're in check on that thing. But, but, but I've been in that place. You've been in that place. And so you automatically show up saying, who is going to be jealous of me today? And this is why you hold back on your giftings. Because you've had people je be jealous of you as you were using, being used by God. I wanted to declare to you, if you've never heard it before, know it now. Hill City is a place where you can use your giftings. The reason why I want you to go through a grow track is so you can figure out what they are, so that you can get turned loose to use them. Nobody's standing in your way from building and doing great things for God. This is a church where we turn people loose to minister because we believe that members are ministers. And that the pastoral team are equippers. Because that's what the Bible says we are. To equip you to raise the dead, heal the sick, cast out devils, preach the gospel, change the world. And so that's a little different because if you come from a church where all you did was you showed up and you got ministered to, then that's what your expectation is. The problem is that's going to be embarrassing on that day. What did you do with what I gave you? I told you to make disciples. Well, I just went to church. I, did what the, I, I just went and got ministered to. Yeah, but you never ministered to anyone else.
That's going to be the pit. And so as your pastor, I am not going to let you do that. I won't push you. Whatever I have to do. Because we're going to break this whole jealousy thing that is the result of why they actually killed Jesus. They didn't kill Jesus because he was doing bad things. They killed him because they were jealous of him. And this is what the church does to one another. And more than ever before, we need to come together and we need to say, you know what? Your gift is your gift. The way you see it is the way you see it. Come on, we need to be unified instead of fighting each other. Listen, your black brother may see it different than you, white sister. But he was made by God. And he's got giftings that you need in your life. And we need Your Hispanic sister may be different than you. And she may see it different than you. Praise God. We need that. If everybody's a point guard, we can never dunk. We need some dunkers. We need some dudes. Like, Cow. Don't let them dribble. Just let them dunk. Which brings me quickly. We got to go because y'all haven't been listening fast enough. Let me give you five quick life lessons from this whole thing. Good Lord of God Almighty. I knew it was going to be long, the last one. All right, here we go. Lord, let the kids' ministry have grace on me. All right, here's number one. First life lesson. Live for God and you will not stumble. Live for God and you will not stumble. He literally said, hey, if we go do this, God will take care of us. Just live for God and you will not stumble. Even in suffering, you will be like Noah in the ark, protected with the suffering all around you. And even if you get harmed and hurt in the process of that, he will heal and fix. Are you with me? Say yes. Here's the second life lesson I want you to grab. Write it down. You need to get Jesus on the scene. Mary and Martha had enough sense to say, hey, Jesus, the one you love, um, kind of need you over here. Take your time, whatever you want to do. They had enough sense to get Jesus on the scene. I, why do you sit there and fight with your wife instead of saying, hey, can we just stop? Let's just pray. Let's just let Jesus come into this. Because right now, you and I are going down a path that we don't like to go down. It's not us. Why are you sitting there arguing with your 17-year-old? Stop arguing and telling them, you're going to live in my house. I tell you, oh, hey, buddy, come here, here. Come on, let's get on our knees. Let's ask Jesus into this scenario. Why are you sitting there at work? Because they jealous of you and whatever, and you fighting and manipulating. And you know what they did to me? You sitting over there drinking coffee. I need you to tell Chavez that if he ever does that again. And y'all doing all, why are you doing all that? What you need to say, you know, sister, it has been a tough week. Do you mind? Just grab my hand. I want to pray. Jesus, would you come in, into this business? I don't know how to act with it. I'm so mad right now. I want to murder people, but that's not your way. That's not your way. Get Jesus on the scene. Are you with me? Say yes. Here's a third life lesson, and that is your faith can be sincere while being limited. I need you to understand that. There's a man in Scripture that come to Jesus. He's got a, he's got a son who's got um, some, scripture, some translations call it epilepsy. He calls it a demon. He says, the, the demons throw my son into the fire and into the water drowning. I brought him to your disciples, and they couldn't cast the devil out of him. And so I'm frustrated. And Jesus says, do you believe I can? He, he's, and the man says, if you can help him. And Jesus says, if I can help him. If I can help him. You're going to the Messiah. And, and, the guy, and the man has enough sense in that moment to go, would you help my unbelief? He's got enough faith to bring the boy to Jesus. He doesn't have enough faith to agree. He has unbelief fighting against that faith. So he makes a statement, if you can help him. And Jesus then later, after he gets the boy free, the disciples come to him and say, what happened there? Why couldn't we do that? And he says, this kind comes out by prayer and fasting. He's not talking about demons. Demons come out because we tell them to come out. He's talking about unbelief. You want to fix unbelief? You're like, I believe Jesus is good, but I don't believe he's great. Then here's what I would do. I would do what Jesus said. Pray and fast. Because when you pray and fast, what you're doing is killing your flesh, giving life to the spirit man inside of you, the Holy Spirit that's at work inside of you. So that's what fasting does. It doesn't make you spiritual, it makes you mean. 
You don't eat for about three, four days. See how nice you are. Why? Because that flesh starts going, ah, I ain't had no coffee in three days. Woo, bless the Lord. Your little addiction is killing all of us today. Hallelujah. Right? Well, when you pray and fast, what it does is it brings that flesh out so God can smack it and kill it for you, and the spirit comes alive, and your faith begins to grow. Are you with me? Say yes. So it's okay. Listen, it's okay, believer. I, I have unbelief in some areas, too. I, I get real nervous when, 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 when I'm standing there in a real tough situation. I'm like, God, last time I prayed for this, it didn't work. And that's created some unbelief in me. I need you to increase my faith, Daddy. I need you to help me. It's okay. Just own it. So, Lord, I, I struggle to have faith in that area. Would you increase my faith? Are you still there? Say yes. Mary and Martha had some faith, but they had all unbelief at the same time. Are you tracking? Say yes. Here's the fourth thing I would teach you from this, and that is don't let your old sin influences in during your hardships. Don't let your old sin influences in during hardship. You start struggling in your marriage, don't go smoke weed again. Are you stupid? That's only going to bring you right back down that trail. Why are you hanging out with those old guys that you used to go clubbing with or go drink beers with now that you're having something going on with your kid and you don't know how to handle it? Why? Don't let the old influences in. Jesus is angry. He's moved. He is not happy. Because Martha, Mary, you're better than this. Look at these jokers. Look what they're doing. You're going to listen to Aunt So-and-So about marriage advice? She's been divorced four times. Like, what are you doing? I'm the resurrection in the life. Come to me. Come to me. All right, got to keep moving. Last one, number five, jealousy kills the movement of God. It kills the movement of God. James chapter 3 and verse 16, so not John 3, 16, James 3, 16. You ought to memorize this one. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find every disorder and every evil practice. If you love God and you use your gifts for God, someone's going to be jealous of you. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. I've been teaching my 15-year-old this. I just don't know why they said that about me. And then I said, baby girl, you better grow up a little bit. Welcome to people's brokenness and your brokenness. People are going to be jealous of you just because you use your gift for God. They did with Jesus. They killed him over it. Not so in our church. Not so. Where you find Envy and selfish ambition. Man, we should be pushing brothers and sisters to go beyond us. There should be a point of maturity where we go, you know what? You are so much better at me than this. Would you please take over this area? I have been praying for someone who can actually get us over the hump in this particular area of this ministry. I've been crying out. That's why we keep saying to all the older brothers and sisters of faith, make disciples. Turn them loose. Lead small groups. They'll do better than we ever did. Take the next generation and just push them forward. They'll go beyond us. That's what we want. Why? Because self Selfish ambition says, no, no, it has to be about me. No, no, I have to get the glory. Why did no one mention my name at the volunteer banquet? Why was my picture not up on that screen at the volunteer? After all that I do, that's called envy and selfish ambition. <laughs> right? Or is another word that, re that records that is jealousy. Oh, and I have learned to say, Lord, mm. Get the jealousy out of me. I just, I, you love me, and that's good enough for me. And I am happy to be a, I'm happy to, to, to hold the door at the church and just say, I, I'm happy to be a, a, a doorman at, in the house of the Lord. Just say, come on, welcome, God. Thank you for coming. I don't know who's preaching, but I bet it's going to be better than what I used to do. I'll tell you that right now. Come on in here. Let's go. This jealousy thing is what's destroying some of you. That's why you can't move on. Why don't you stand with me quickly across the room? 
we're a couple minutes behind you guys online. You weren't listening fast enough. The guys live are just kidding. <laughs> Uh, here's what I want you to do. I want you to just kind of create a safe place right where you're standing. Kind of bow your head and close your eyes for just a moment. Jesus did all these miraculous signs, not for just the sake of doing them. John says, I want to record these ones, these seven, because Jesus was apprenticing us in the process. We were learning life lessons and learning his nature in the midst of it. And, and if I can show you these, I think you can believe beyond just the miracle and you'll take on his nature. And by, by believing, you may have his life, his divine nature. And I, none of us in this room are perfect Christians. No one watching online, we're not, none of us are perfect Christians. We're all falling forward into his love and his mercy. He calls us saints. He identifies us as sons and daughters. And so he's not mad at us. He recognizes that just like you're not mad at your 13-year-old who doesn't quite know how to drive a car yet. They haven't matured into that. Doesn't make them stupid or ignorant or bad or horrible. Just means they haven't had the opportunity to mature into that yet. Every one of us have opportunities in front of us to mature one step closer. One little bit more like Jesus, if you will. And so with your head bowed and your eye closed, there were five big life lessons that I think that we can draw from today. And I want you to take a step closer to Jesus by identifying one of these that maybe you can say, Lord, help me with. Maybe you've come to the place where you keep stumbling because you just haven't lived for God. Today's your day. Today's your day. Maybe you've gotten in a habit of trying to fix it all in your own strength because you're smart, you're intelligent, you're highly educated. But you haven't been calling Jesus to the scene and so you haven't had miracles. You're not going to survive what's happening in our world today without the miracles of Jesus active in your life. Call Jesus onto the scene. He'll fix a marriage. He'll fix a relationship at work. He will do supernatural things in finances. He'll give you a word of knowledge. He will. He'll tell you which crypto to buy and which one not to buy. He's done it for me. Maybe your faith has been sincere but limited because, because of the things you've been through. Maybe you have a hard time praying for people to have babies when you've had miscarriages. Maybe you have a hard time believing for other children to serve God when your adult kids are not serving God. So it's, what it's done is it's, it's, it's kind of clogged your filter in faith. And here now is the moment where you say, Lord, I need you to help me with that. I need you to unclog that for me, Lord God. I, I, need, to, I, I, need, to, I, I need to not limit you anymore. I want you to dream again. What happened to dreaming? The supernatural things that God could do. What happened to the, the childlike faith? Were you, were you, were you, were you were excited about writing songs for Jesus and writing poems for Jesus and now you got him all figured out? Why, are you, why have you limited him and you? It's time to dream again. It's time to unlink, unlink yourself to these set ways of doing things. He wants to go beyond and above anything you could ever think or imagine. And then maybe you're here and you've let those old influences in. Maybe you went through something last year or the year before with COVID or whatever, and you just got back into those old influences. They became your, they became your medication. You're back, addicted to porn, back, talking bad about everybody, back. You know, those old influences. What started was just a glass of wine is now a whole bottle of wine before you go to bed. Those old influences. They agitated Jesus so much. 
He loves you, but boy, he's so mad at those mourners and those who trying to, those things that are trying to console you, that can't console you and fix you, that will never fix you. And your inability to have faith in him to fix you and looking to these other areas for comfort. He's not mad at you, but boy, he's so frustrated that those things could get back in your life. I, if I were you, I would repent right where I stood and say, Jesus, please forgive me. Please, I don't love them more than I love you. I believe in you. Maybe you've had, the moment I hit that envy, selfish ambition point, that jealousy, maybe you've become pharisaical towards others too. And the truth is, no one knows that. You and God knows that. You and the Lord knows what's happened in your heart. And you're jealous of this person because what kind of money they've been blessed with or how, they've, how they all of a sudden are up on that stage at the church or how they got a promotion. And that thing is going to eat at you until you ultimately kill the move of God because that's what jealousy does. It kills the move of God. And if that's you, I would repent right where I stand, right where I sit if I'm online, on my couch. I have to repent right there and say, Lord, forgive me. I don't want to be full of jealous jealousy. I don't want to have envy and selfish ambition in me. Lord, we come before you as a church. Lord, we identify, Lord God, that we need you. Lord God, we need you. I thank you for what we've been able to study from the book of John. Lord, the, the, the account that John gave us so that we could believe in you, and by believing in you, we could have your nature. Lord, I see you in a whole different light because of John's record of what you did. And I felt like I was one of the disciples as you were teaching and doing that. Lord, I, I literally put myself in that position to learn what you were teaching and what you were training. Lord, I am your apprentice. Lord, show me. I'll do what you do. I want to be what you are. So all of us here at Hill City, that's our cry, oh God. And so, Lord, we thank you that we're not perfect, but we are submitted. And so, Jesus, lead us, guide us, direct us. Hear the heart of repentance that we bring before you today. Lord, begin to sand off those rough edges that we've not let you have access to. Lord God, because of our circumstances, what we came from, what we experienced, those hard places in our heart, that inability to really trust real well because of what we went through somewhere else, God, would you begin to soften that and bring those organs back to life? Lord God, don't let us stay dead in that tomb. Lord, bring it back to life. Lord, resurrect dreams and visions, oh God. Resurrect. Lord, you just didn't heal that man. You gave Mary and Martha the opportunity to have a headship so they could continue changing the world. They would not have been able to do business. They would have lost their home. They would have lost their businesses. You brought back to life Lazarus and gave them a name and gave them the comfort to continue doing what you called them to do. Lord, for those who've not been on mission, they have no idea why they're here. Lord, would you begin to reveal in dreams? Would you begin to reveal through your holy scriptures? Why are they here? What is their mission on this planet? Jesus, I thank you for your guidance and your direction. Now, if you just keep your head bowed for a moment, I want to give a, a call for anyone who might would say, Pastor, i got to be honest. If I died today, I wouldn't go to heaven. I know I wouldn't. Listen, I've been there. I know exactly how you feel and what you're thinking. And can I just say this to you? The Bible's so clear. He says, if you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, that he'll forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You don't have to give money to the church to be forgiven. You don't have to go on a mission trip to be forgiven. You don't have to go serve at the soup kitchen during, during Thanksgiving. Confess with your mouth. 
and believe in your heart because that process means that you're surrendering to him being the Lord of your life. You're repenting of your sins and saying, I don't want to live like this anymore. I want you, Jesus. And if you're in a position right here, right now, you say, Pastor, I'm ready. I don't want to live like I've been living. I want to repent of my sins. I want Jesus in my life as the Lord of my life. Then I will lead you in a prayer of confessing with your mouth and believing in your heart. I won't call you forward. The cameras are not going to zoom in on you. This is a deep, private decision that lasts eternity. Do you want to serve God? Are you willing to repent of your sins and let Jesus be the Lord of your life? And if your answer is yes, Pastor, pray with me with no one looking around. If that's you, would you slip your hand up so I know who I'm praying with? Quickly, across the room. God bless you. Amen. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you so much. I saw, yeah, God bless you. Two more seconds. Don't miss out on your moment. Don't push Jesus away. This is your moment. He's tugging at your heart. Respond to him. Amen. You can put your hands down. I'm going to lead you in this prayer, this prayer of repentance, and I want you to mean it from the depths of your heart. In fact, I want everyone in the audience to pray out loud alongside those who lifted their hands. Say it like this. You ready? Jesus, today I admit I'm a sinner, and I recognize I've sinned against you. But here and now, I repent. I turn from my sins. I change my mind. I declare Jesus is my Lord. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I ask you now to write my name in your book of life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I'm yours forever. In Jesus' name. Keep your head bowed for just a moment. Father, I pray right now there would be a peace that overtakes these men and women. Lord, I remember the peace that came inside of me when I realized I'm not fighting against him anymore. I may not be perfect. I may sin some more, but I am forgiven. And Lord, I pray that that revelation would hit so hard that peace would overtake them. That they are forgiven. They're yours. They belong to you. And then, Lord, I pray for a joy to begin bubbling up. The Word calls it the joy of our salvation. Lord God, that you know what? No matter what happens, no matter what goes down in life, if the end up Chinese end up overtaking us or the Russians and we end up, you know, living out in the field somewhere, that we will have eternity with you. The joy, the peace of knowing that we're forever in your loving arms. And, Lord, we commit to never jump out of those loving arms. Lord, we love you. And I thank you for what you've done in this place today. And in my heart and my mind and all those here, we bless you now in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen. Can we applaud all that God's done? So good. If you made a decision today uh, to serve Jesus for the first time, we want to celebrate with you. Would you text DECIDED to 469-606-2684? And uh, we want to respond. And again, just connect with you and celebrate the beginning of an amazing discipleship journey with Jesus. Don't forget, next week we are here again, same place, same time, 9 o'clock and 11. And until then, we hope you have an amazing week.